Hey everyone, my name is Josh Scroggins, I pastor New Beginnings Family. Just wanted to say thank you for joining our podcast and welcome. We hope the following message will be encouraging, will inspire you to grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about us or would like to support our ministry financially, you can visit our website at www.nbfamily.net. And as always, for all you do to support us, thank you. God bless you and enjoy the message. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on what is a very special podcast today. We are uh, just focusing on mothers. And in this episode, we're going to be looking at two mothers in particular. But before we do that, I feel like I really need to just say something personal. And as always, I hope that uh, you are sharing this podcast. Like it, rate it, review it, give it a five star, give it a 10. I don't care. Uh, (laughs) Whatever the most they let you give, do that one. And uh, like it, share it, pass it around, review it, rate it. Uh, so let me just share something kind of personal because this is um, this is kind of a, an interesting thing for me. We're on Mother's Day or we're coming up into the Mother's Day weekend. I'm actually recording this a little bit earlier. I'm trying something different. I'm trying to record my podcast a little bit earlier and that way I can get it uploaded on the same day we do the sermon um, on Sunday. And so hopefully this this works out and I can keep doing it this way. Uh, on November 17th, uh, Chelsea and I gave birth um well, she gave birth. I was there. Uh, <laughs> Chelsea and I got to see our baby boy, Asher, for the first time. And after that day, I have seen what it means to be a mother from a different, more appreciative perspective. Uh, now, I had no uh, no doubt in my mind that Chelsea was going to be a good mother, but knowing something and seeing it up close is very different. Uh, seeing it up close is just another thing entirely. She's attentive, intuitive, insightful, loving, nurturing, so much more. And I have to admit that until a few years ago, I fell into the error of thinking what many do. And a lot of guys, unfortunately, we fall into this. I wondered what stay-at-home moms did all day. I will never wonder about that again. Uh, My son Asher is an amazing kid. He's easy. And I thank God for that, because if he's easy, I cannot imagine how we would survive a difficult one. Uh, (laughs) But there's no longer any doubt in my mind. Taking care of a baby is a full-time job, and getting anything else done is quite a task. Uh, In fact, we we have this arrangement set up right now in our home where, you know, Chelsea works from home. And so while she's working, I'm watching Asher. And then when she gets off of work, I do my work. And uh, um, even still, uh, trying to do that at night and and, and getting things done has been very difficult. And uh, so now I also have learned more than ever the importance of having family close by in this stage of our life. If it were not for our mothers, uh, my mom, um, Chris, and my mother-in-law, Rhonda, and and my father-in-law many times as well, I'm not sure that I'd have a sermon to preach each week. I guess what I'm saying is this, that I find myself extra thankful uh, right now for the women in my life. My wife, my mother, my mother-in-law, Rhonda, um, they are so special. And it's very clear that God showed off a little bit when he made mothers like them. Uh, and as I thought about the passage that I wanted to to share today, 
Um, I actually ended up on two. What I did is I, I just did a search through the Bible for the phrase, her son, just to see what I could find. I also did a search for her daughter. And what I found were the stories of a couple of women that jumped out at me. And the first one is a very difficult passage to interpret, uh, at least to interpret correctly. Um, and it provided me with quite a challenge this week as I really wanted to, to study into it and, and, and dig into it because it is a very difficult passage. The second story contains a small detail that I missed every time I've read it until now. And that little detail changes the symbolism of the event quite a bit. Um, so mothers, I'm going to be speaking primarily to you in this podcast. However, um, I want us all to know that the principles I'm going to be speaking here, they apply to everyone. They apply to all of us. However, the examples being used here are mothers. Uh, and if you are a mom or if you have your mom around still uh, and, and, and you are able to uh, to really kind of just uh, picture them in these positions, I think it's going to mean a little bit extra more to you. It's going to mean a little bit more, a little bit extra. Uh, but if you're a parent, you'll you'll feel this, um, whether you're a father or a mother. Uh, and even if you're not, these principles will apply. So um, I, I do believe I have a very powerful message for you in, in this episode that I believe is straight from the throne room of God. And in Matthew 15, we're going to we're going to take a look at the first one. And this particular passage is very challenging. Um, but within this story is something uh, very cool. If if we can allow ourselves to move past our initial emotional reaction to what we read. And so I'm going to ask you to um don't tune out when we get uh, halfway through this story. I know you might want to. You might want to uh, be offended or confused um, by what we're going to read. Uh, don't do that. Um, here's, here's what it says. In, in Matthew 15, we're going to read verses 21 to 28. It says, Jesus went away from there, withdrew into the region of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he did not answer her with even a word. In other words, Jesus ignored her. He didn't say anything. And then Jesus' disciples came up and urged him, saying, Send her away. She keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words, finally, when Jesus does speak to her, he tells her, I'm not here for you. <laughs> then she came and began to bow before him, saying, Lord, help me. Yet he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Don't check out right now, okay? Stay with me. She, I know, I know, it's a difficult passage. Don't check out. I promise this is going to make sense in a moment. And you're going to see what Jesus is doing here. And it's actually pretty incredible. Uh, here's what she said. She said, yes, Lord, but please help. For even the dogs feed on the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus said to her, oh, woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed at once. Now, for me, this is one of the most difficult passages in the entire Bible. In it, we read what appears to be Jesus ignoring a woman 
dismissing this woman and then casually and callously insulting this woman who is in pain. If that were the case, it would be heartbreaking, but I don't think that's actually what's happening here. I know that's what it appears on the surface. And in fact, what we see happening in this passage is far more subtle and powerful than I think most people realize. In this narrative, we see powerful, defining traits of a mother. Now, I want to break down what I I believe is happening here because, again, it's a difficult passage. But man, is it a powerful passage. When we really grasp the concept of what it is that Jesus was doing in this interaction— I I think it's going to change the way that you see this. And maybe you have read this passage before and it bothered you. Maybe you have read this passage before and you were troubled by it. I'm hoping that after we explain, after we go through this and break down what is actually happening here underneath the surface, I have a feeling that, that it's going to help a lot because there's something very, very awesome that Jesus does. So here's the setup. This woman comes to Jesus with a problem. It's not a small problem. Okay, it's not it's not a little thing. Her daughter is demon possessed and she knows that Jesus can help. And so she follows him and his disciples yelling for Jesus to help her daughter. Now, this is not just a woman, okay? This is a Canaanite woman. Okay? Canaan was historically the enemies of Israel. That's who she is. But she knows who Jesus is. And so she begins yelling for Jesus to help her daughter. Jesus does not answer her. And so she persists. Now, right there, the fact that Jesus was not answering her, the fact that his disciples were trying to get her to be quiet and and send her away, to many people, that would already be enough for us to say, okay, I guess he's he's not going to, uh, he's not going to answer me. I'm not going to get what I want out of here. I'm going to go somewhere else. Many of us at this point would have already given up because Jesus is not paying attention. He's ignoring her. His disciples are telling her to go away. She's not. She is persisting. Why? Because she's a mother. She's not just a woman. She's a mother. She has a daughter at home who is demon possessed and she knows only Jesus can help. And yet still everything is against her. Her race is against her, right? She's a descendant of the Canaanites, the enemies of Israel. Her sex is against her. Orthodox Jewish men actually regularly prayed the prayer, Lord, I thank you that I am not a Gentile, a dog, or a woman. She was both a Gentile and a woman. Women were not dignified. Women were not esteemed. Not in that culture. Jesus actually changed all of that. The dignity with which Jesus treated women was groundbreaking at the time. He was the great liberator of women and did so at great cost to his own reputation. So her race was against her. Her sex was against her. And finally, Jesus' own disciples were against her. They kept trying to, to, to get her to go away. They, they couldn't persuade or dissuade her. They couldn't tell her to leave. They couldn't make her leave. And so they go to Jesus and they say, she keeps following us and yelling at us. Send her away. Now, if I were in her place, I don't know that I would continue to follow. I might be tempted to slink away in shame or hopelessness. But this was not just a woman. This was a mother. This was a mother who had a child in great need, and none of these things would stop her until her daughter was healed. And that's when Jesus turned to her and spoke. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. 
Now, this was completely true. Jesus' purpose was to come to the children of Israel and offer them bread. Now, what do I mean by bread? Jesus is the bread of life. He, he, he is referred to that as scripture in scripture. Jesus, the bread of life, had come to the children of Israel first. It was not yet time for the Gentiles to be brought into the fold. Now, that time would come soon enough, but it was not time yet. And again, Jesus turning and speaking this to her would have stopped many, but not this woman, because she was not just a woman. She was a mother. I want to make something clear here as well. Jesus loved this woman deeply. He is not being careless towards her. He is not being uncaring towards her. I know that upon initial reading from the outset, from the outside, from the appearance sake, it would appear that way. But here's what I think is happening under the surface. Number one, I believe that Jesus was already planning to help her from the very beginning. It doesn't sound like that, Pastor. What do you mean? Well, he already knew that she wouldn't give up. He knew her heart. He knew what she would do. But what he needed to do was he needed to teach the crowd around him. He needed to teach his disciples. His disciples did not yet understand what his mission was. They were trying to send her away. And so he needed to set up a teachable moment for the crowd around him. He also wanted to give her a test of faith. And so what we see Jesus doing is drawing faith out of this woman for all to see by placing in front of her a series of stumbling blocks for her to step over. By the way, this is the same tactic he used which, with the, uh, the rich young ruler who, who failed the test, by the way. But this was not a rich young ruler. This was not some young man. This was a mother. And she would not be dissuaded by stumbling blocks. And so she falls on her feet or on her knees before Jesus. She will not quit. And finally, Jesus says the, the, the line that I think so many people kind of read past and then try to pretend like we didn't read it because it's so difficult. And Jesus says, it's not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. Now, this statement is extremely hard, but I want to hopefully explain the meaning and the purpose of Jesus speaking it. First, first of all, it was very common to refer to Gentiles as dogs. Okay, that was that was a very common thing in the culture back then. The word that they would often use is the equivalent to the Greek word kuon, which meant wild cur. It refers to wild mangy dogs. All right, they would have these these wild dogs that would would walk around the streets. Nobody wanted them around. They were unclean. They were mangy. Uh, they could be dangerous. Right? They they uh, would just kind of wander. That, that's that's the word that Jews would use for Gentiles. So when Jesus spoke, he was not speaking just to this woman, and I don't believe he was even for a second speaking what he believed. I think what he was doing is, I think what he was saying is he was speaking to this woman out loud what the crowd was thinking in their hearts. And Jesus did this too, by the way. You might recall, uh, this is, there, here's another time that Jesus did this. Jesus um, forgave the sins of a man who was a paralytic, right? He was lowered through the roof. He couldn't walk. His friends 
tore open the roof of the house Jesus was in. They lowered him down. Jesus looked at the man and said, your sins are forgiven. Now, what the people around him began thinking in their heart was, who is this to forgive sins? Only God can forgive sin. Who does he think he is? Now, they're thinking this in his heart. They're not saying this out loud. And so what Jesus does as a teachable moment is he speaks out loud what they're thinking and then challenges that thinking. So what happens is Jesus says, what's more difficult to say your sins are forgiven or to say you take up your, no, he's, he's, but to show you that I have the power to forgive sin. In other words, he directly addresses the thoughts they have. He tells a man to take up his bed and walk. I think that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He is saying out loud what so many in the crowd are thinking in their hearts, but not saying. And so he brings out this phrase. He brings out this sentence that is very difficult for us to read. But I believe he did it as a way of addressing the thoughts that so many had so that once it was out, that thinking could be challenged, but this time not by him. This time that challenge would be coming from the mouth of this woman. So here's the thing, though, that that changed. When Jesus used the word for dogs, when he said this phrase, Jesus used a different word for dogs than normally what Jews would call a Gentile. The word translated as dogs here is the Greek word kunarion. Not kuon, but kunarion. Correctly translated, the word means puppy. It was a word for a puppy dog or a pet It was talking about a pet dog. Now, that's a very, very different thing than a wild, mangy mutt roaming the streets, right? Because a pet dog is referring now to to a dog that is dearly loved by the family and in many ways even considered part of the family, but still is not one of the children. It was actually an affectionate word being used here. And still, what Jesus was doing is he was saying out loud what the people in the crowd were already thinking so he could challenge that thinking with her help. Remember, Jesus already knew what her response would be, and her response was persistence. Now, she didn't deny anything that Jesus had just said, right? She says, yes, Lord. In other words, I know that. I know I am not a child child of God. I know that I don't have a covenant relationship with God the same way that Israel does. She understood that Jesus was on a specific mission to a specific group of people. She understood God had made covenant with Israel that Gentiles did not have. They were indeed children of God and she was not. The only thing that she and the others around did not know is that Jesus had come to change that. See, with his sacrifice, Jesus actually made a blood covenant that would extend to every person, both Jew and Gentile, but that had not yet happened. For the time, she was still a pet puppy, loved by her master, but not yet in a covenant relationship with him. But soon that would change. And Jesus was about to use this encounter to showcase that truth to the crowd. This woman's response was a perfect answer to the statement. She acknowledged the truth of Jesus' words, but then she said, but even dogs feed on the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Now, why is that so important? Well, because you have to understand what it is that that 
that caused Israel to enter into a covenant relationship with God in the first place. And there is something in Genesis 12, 2-3, that is called the Abrahamic Covenant. It's the covenant God made with Abraham. It was the, the thing that God spoke to him that formed this covenant in the first place. This was the thing that Israelites clung to as a way of showing their covenant with God. And when she spoke this, even the dogs feed on the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She reminded every Jew in the crowd of this covenant. Here's how the covenant goes. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Here you go. And this is the important one here. This is, this is, this is the call back to what we're just dealing with now. Here's the last part of the Abrahamic covenant. Here's what God says. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It's that last line that she referred to, whether she realized it or not. Because God said that the nation of Israel, the, the descendants of Abraham, would be so blessed, right, that their table would be so full of food that it would fall off of the table. That they would be so blessed it would overflow to the peoples of the earth. Now, she may or may not have been familiar with this promise as a Canaanite. But Jesus and the crowd around him certainly knew it. And when she spoke this, she passed the test and Jesus could now teach the crowd by blessing her. Again, keep in mind the entire time Jesus knew exactly how this would play out. The woman didn't. This Canaanite woman was willing to take on everything and everyone that was against her. She was willing to push through a crowd and endure humiliation in their midst. She was willing to humble herself before Christ. Why? Because she was more than a woman. She was a mother. My first message to the mothers listening to this, and not just to the mothers, but especially to the mothers, is this. Fight for your children. Now, if you're not a parent, let me tell you it this way. Fight for the next generation. This world is full of sin, full of hate, full of lies, full of evil. The devil wants your children. If, if the COVID-19 lockdowns had any silver lining, it was that parents all over our country were exposed to what was being taught to their children by the public school systems. Moms, dads, fight for your children. Fight to teach them about God. Fight to make sure they know what is right and what is wrong. Fight to make sure they're in church every week. Fight to make sure they have good influences in their life and fight to keep out as many bad ones as you can. Fight to give them a holy example in your home. Fight to protect their innocence as long as possible. Fight to protect them from confusion about gender, sexual activity, faith, and any other lie the devil would try to tell them. Now, will the world try to shame you when you do this? Yes. Will culture try to mock you? Yes. Will media companies like Disney try to undermine the good foundation you and God have laid in your kids? Yes. You cannot do anything about that. You can't be surprised when a sinful world acts sinfully. You can't change this world or this culture because you don't have nearly enough authority over this world or this culture. But there is one area you have all the authority you need. And mothers, fathers, 
It is time you draw a line in the sand to pray over your kids with passion and power and tell the devil, you will not have my kids. Now, you might feel like every other mother does at times. Pastor, that sounds great. But how am I supposed to fight if I can't even breathe? I've been giving and giving and giving, but I don't know how much I have left. I feel like I'm not enough. I feel like it's all too much. I feel like I don't have enough inside me to keep going. Every day I struggle just to get through the day. It's like I'm running on a hamster wheel. I'm, I'm, I'm constantly running, but I'm getting nowhere, and I don't know how much longer I can take it. How am I supposed to give anything else when I feel this empty? But that's where our second story comes in. Remember, this is a tale of two mothers, not just one. 2 Kings 4, 1-7 Now a woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband's dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. His creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, do you, what do you have in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except for a jar of oil. And he said, go borrow containers elsewhere for yourself. Empty containers from all your neighbors. Don't get too few. Then you shall come in, shut the door behind you and your sons and pour it into these containers. And you shall set aside what is full. So she left, shut the door behind her. They began bringing the containers to her. She poured out the oil. When the containers were, were full, she said to her son, bring me another container. But he said, there are no more containers. Then the oil stopped. So she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt. You and your sons can live on the rest. This was the mother of two sons. Now she was a widow. We might say it like this in our culture. This woman was a single mom. She was a single mom of two sons. Now again, this story is for all mothers. This story is for all of us, by the way. Every single person, this message is for you too. But this is especially for moms, and even more so right now. If you are a single mom, you need to pay extra close attention to this. Her husband was called uh, was part of a group called the Sons of the Prophets. This was a group of students that sat under the prophets, not literal sons, but spiritual sons. And it's highly likely that her husband actually sat under Elisha at some point because she states that Elisha knew him and knew that he feared the Lord. To add to her troubles, though, either he had left her a debt when he died or she had taken on debt to pay the bills. Either way, the debt had gotten so large that her sons were going to be taken from her to work off the debt as slaves. And she pleads with Elisha for help. And he gives her a set of instructions, which she obeys faithfully. Her and her sons go around, they gather all the containers, they get all they can get a hold of, they bring them home, they shut the door behind them, they begin to fill them up with the jar of oil they had in the house. They continue to pour. She continues to pour. And from this one vessel, she fills all of the other containers. And when every container had been filled, that's when the oil stopped. Now, here's where that little detail I mentioned earlier comes into play. 
it seems plain in the text. And if you, if you just go and read the text, it seems really plain. You might look at it and think, Pastor, how did you miss that? Well, let me explain. When I was a kid, I saw a cartoon of this story. Um, and, and it really kind of shaped the whole way I've seen this story in my head over and over and over again that it just caused me to miss something pretty obvious. When I was a kid, here's, here's what the story was. The story was they got all the containers, they put them on the floor, and then she walked around and just started pouring into all of them all over the floor. That's not how it happened. Matter of fact, the Bible's pretty clear about that. It says the kids brought her the empty containers. She poured the oil as they brought them to her. Then they went away with the full container, came back with another empty container, and she poured into it again. She kept pouring and pouring and pouring. And God made sure the oil kept flowing as long as there was still an empty container. Once the last container was filled, and only once the last container was filled, did the oil stop. Now, Pastor, what does that mean? What does that matter? How How is that any different? What does that mean? Why is that important? Well, I want you to pay very close attention to this. I cannot express to you how important this moment is right now. What I'm about to share with you could very well change your life and it could very well change your kids' lives. Now, I have, I have an illustration involving people and jars and, and and pouring and all of that is great, but not on a podcast. So what I want to do is I want to have you use your imagination for just a moment. Mothers, especially I'm talking to you, but regardless, this applies to you, okay? No matter who you are listening to this, this applies to you, but especially I'm speaking to the moms right now. I'm speaking to the dads right now. I'm speaking to parents. I'm speaking to grandparents. I'm also speaking to you who do not have kids, but are able to pour into the next generation and are able to pour in. I'm speaking to ministers right now. Because here's what happens. This woman began with a full jar of oil. And her kids would bring her a container and she would pour it. Now, the first container that she saw, she might think, I've got enough in here. It's not a problem. Pour and fill it. The second container comes and she begins to pour. But shortly after that, it had to cross her mind. I don't think I've got enough oil for all of these containers. Here comes another one. I don't think I've got enough left. And what happens is so often, whether you are a parent, whether you are a minister, whether you're a mentor, whether you're a boss, people will come to us with an empty container. Moms, your kids come to you with an empty container. They have a need. They need you to fill. They need you to pour into them. They come to you empty. They come to you hurting. They come to you broken. They come to you in need. And they are, are, are desperate for you to pour into them. And at first, it's fine. You've got plenty. You feel like, I've got this. It's not a problem. But then they keep coming. And, and you keep pouring out. And at a certain point, it begins to go through your head. I don't have any more. I'm empty. I can't keep doing this. I don't have enough to keep doing this. I'm not strong enough. I'm not wise enough. I don't have the experience. I don't have the strength. I don't have the endurance. I don't have the capability. I don't have the knowledge. I'm not equipped for this. I I cannot continue to do this day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out, year in and year out. I can't keep doing this. I don't have anything left. 
here's the message that I believe God dropped in my spirit for you today. It's two parts. Don't let go of God and keep pouring. What happens is this. (laughs) You may not feel like you have enough, but as long as you are connected to the source, as long as you are allowing God to continue pouring into you, you can keep pouring into them. And they, they go away full and they're great, but then they come back with an empty jar again. It's something else. At first, it's small, right? Maybe, maybe it's 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 a a baby, right? Chelsea and I are going through this right now, and and at first he was just hungry all the time. He was tired all the time. He needed to eat. He needed to sleep, and we just had to give up sleep and sanity for a while. And every time, we would just pour into him. Chelsea, his mom, would just pour into him. She would feed him. She would provide for him. She would take care of him. And then we would put him back to sleep. And and that's fine. But then every time he would be empty again and need Chelsea to pour more into him. And then he'd begin teething. This is the phase we're in right now. And you desperately want to comfort your kid. Nothing seems to help. And they're in pain. And all you can do is soothe them. And so you pour into them again until they're full but they always come back empty again and needing more. And maybe you're at a place in your life right now or in your ministry right now or in your job situation right now where you feel like you've given everything you have left. Every time you give, people come back and they just want more and they want more and they want more. And you're thinking to yourself, I can't do this anymore. I don't have anything left to give. I believe this woman looked in this jar of oil and thought the same. I think she felt the same. I think that she looked at it and thought, there's nothing left. But Elisha said to keep pouring, and so I'm going to keep pouring and trusting God. And as she poured, she found that oil continued to flow from this jar. Now maybe your kid is is older. They come to you empty again. They say, the kids at school don't like me. I don't have any friends. And you pour yourself into them again until they leave full. And But then they come back empty again. This time they're bawling their eyes out. I tried out for a team at school. I didn't make the cut. I worked so hard. And they're broken and they're disappointed and they're hurting. And so you pour into them until they're full. And, and I know it seems like you don't have enough, but you just find, you kind of dig deep and you find that strength and you pour out and you think, and I don't have anything left. I can't do this. And so you have to allow God to give you strength in those moments. Don't let go of God and keep pouring, what you find is this, that as long as there is need, and maybe sometimes it's a big need, right? Maybe it's it's a teenager that comes up and says, mom, I'm pregnant. Clearly they're shaken. The life will never be the same. This is more than you have ever had to deal with before, but you can see your daughter needs you. So you call on God for strength and you begin to pour. Even though you don't think you have anything left, you begin to pour. And you find that as you begin to pour out, 
that you had more inside of you than you realized. Don't let go of God and keep pouring. Because as long as you are connected with him, as long as you do not let go of God, he will make sure that as long as there is a need, as long as there is an empty vessel, that the oil will keep flowing. The Bible says that it was only when there was no more emptiness that the oil stopped flowing. And here's what I'm telling you today as a way of encouraging you. As long as you keep a hold of God, God will make sure that as long as there is a need, the oil keeps flowing. Now, you might not feel like you have anything left, but you'll find it anyway. You may feel like you don't have the strength to keep going, and yet you'll find out that you do. It is not your strength anymore that you are pouring out. It is not your own wisdom anymore that you are pouring out. But God will continue to pour into you as you pour into them. And that as long as there is a need, God will make sure the oil keeps flowing. So don't let go of him and keep pouring. Because God will always make sure that you have enough. Fight for your kids. Fight for the next generation. Don't be afraid of an empty vessel being brought to you. That is just an opportunity for God to show off his power through you. Love your kids with all your heart, with all your passion. Fight for them and pour into them. And every time you see them come empty and needing you again, every time you think to yourself, I don't have any more, remember, as long as there is need, God will make sure that the oil keeps flowing. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us at New Beginnings Family. We appreciate you listening and hope that the message was encouraging, inspiring, challenging, that ultimately it brings you closer to Jesus Christ. If you have any questions for us or would like to get a hold of us, you can reach out to us at www.nbfamily.net. Thank you so much. We love you. Have an amazing day. And thank you for all your support. We'll see you next time.